Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. This is part 57. We're in Zechariah. We're going to finish up chapter 6 and jump into chapter 7 tonight. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. So let me say a prayer. We'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness. I pray, God, that you would just speak to us through your word, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, then. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, So we're in um, the sixth chapter, and we're going to start with verse 9. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Receive the gift from the captives from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have come from Babylon. And go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. All right, so I told you we could call this uh, weird little books instead of big little books. A lot of strangeness going on here. So let's try to break this open. Receive the gifts from the captives who have come from Babylon. So the Israelites are returning from Babylonian captivity, and they're bringing stuff. They're bringing gifts with them. And they're getting these gifts from Babylon, which was tremendously wealthy. It's sort of like when the Israelites came out of Egyptian bondage. The Bible says they came out with great wealth. They plundered Egypt, getting 400 years' worth of back pay from Egypt. They were in Babylon for 70 years. And it's not like they were getting 70 years of back pay per se. But if you'll remember Jeremiah 29, which some of you have hanging on your refrigerators, like your favorite verse, Jeremiah 29.10. But if we'll start with verse 4, Jeremiah 29 verse 4, we get some context of what was going on in the Babylonian captivity. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens, eat their fruit. Take wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there. Notice that, increased there in in the land of captivity and not diminished I don't want you to be wiped out in the land of captivity I want you to increase and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it for in its peace you will have peace so in this enemy territory you need to pray that there's peace in the cities in Babylon that you're staying in because if they have peace you have peace For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in the midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts, here it is, verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, 
to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So, the gifts they had to bring, they only had them because they built houses and planted gardens and got married and had kids and gave their kids to in marriage to other families and their kids had kids and they became grandparents and it's it's just they were to prosper in that land and he's giving them a formula to prosper i could say very practically speaking that for you to get married and have kids and work a job and have a stability in your life has the ability to cause you to prosper as a matter of fact, Fortune Magazine, August 17th, 2022, says this in the United States, especially with the tax code the way it's set up, married couples are nine times richer than their counterparts. You're having a hard time believing that, I, I can tell. <laughs> so you better thank God for your spouse. Buying a house... Staying in that house is a bedrock investment. That's a that's a, a surefire way to win. I got my real estate license in 1984, and one of the things they taught me when I was getting licensed was this. There's no more land than the land there is. There's this is all the real estate there is in the whole wide world. It's limited. So if you I mean it's a deep thought. So if you buy some land, you got a, a, one of a very limited supply of land that's, you know, available, practical, whatever. So the Israelites in Babylon had to deal with this, you know, being stuck in Babylon. But instead of just hanging their harps on the willows, which we'll look at in just a moment, that, that sad psalm, we're stuck, we're strangers in a strange land. Rather than just having that mentality and doing nothing, the Lord said, get busy, build houses, work jobs, have families, uh, prosper, increase instead of decrease in this, this season. And, and don't pay attention to the false prophets who are lying to you and telling you what you want to hear. What does that mean? That means that there were prophets that were telling, you know, scratching the ear. The Bible talks about in the last days there would be people that had itching ears. You know, they want, they want you to tell them what they want to hear. And so you've got Israelite captives ripped out of Jerusalem and the promised land, taken into Babylonian captivity. What do you think they're wanting to hear? The Lord's about to take us back home. We're about to be delivered any minute. Don't buy that house. Don't get married. You know, uh, because we're about to enter back into the promised land. And the Lord said, don't pay any attention to them. Don't pay attention to those dreams that you have that are just wishful thinking dreams. Because he said, you're going to be here 70 years. You're going to be here for a long time. So, 
He said, I want you to prosper. And here's a way to prosper. Here's a key to a prosperous home. Don't listen to prophets who say what God did not say, but they say what you want to hear. There's a difference between Acts 2, where the church sold their lands and properties and gave it to this new fledgling church, laid it at the apostles' feet, the money, the proceeds. Uh, don't. There's a huge difference between that and some Yahoo out here that says, Jesus is coming next week, sell everything you got and give me all the money. Right? Uh, and, and that's kind of a parallel here. Are you with me? Do you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about prayer and fasting? There are some 2,300 Bible verses that have to do with money, wealth, or possessions in your Bible. And Jesus spoke about money or used financial terms in his parables in 11 out of 39 of his parables, or about 15% of them. God cares about our finances and our financial well-being. And we see that in Zechariah and in Jeremiah. So I know I'm on a little bit of a tangent, but we go where the text takes us, and I'm trying to make sense of what's being said. And Jeremiah is a great uh, way to look at what was going on and why they had stuff to bring back to Jerusalem. They didn't steal it. They had prospered in the land of Babylon. And so, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but I have been known to do that from time to time. Um, here's what I could say. If, I could say this. If you want to prosper, if you want to be blessed, get saved, work a job, marry a saved person, try real hard to stay married, have kids, because divorce is very expensive. Go to church, drag your kids to church, be a giver, give tithes and offerings, and watch the redemptive lift of God manifest in your lives. It's, it's, a, it's a formula. It works. I, I've, I, I think back to my home church because my home church, although I haven't gone to church there in a long time, I mean, like, a long time, decades, but... My home church made an indelible impact on me. So I always go back and compare. And I'm, I'm, I'll take families, say here at Bethesda, and I'm not going to disclose to you uh, uh, your doppelganger or your counterpart in my home church. But everybody, uh, in one sense or another, I'm like, well, they're kind of like that family. And they're kind of like that person. And I just, I just, I, because I just cut my teeth there and I, I learned so much there. But I have watched, I've had the privilege of through the years going back and forth into my home church and seeing families that, you know, I would even say like this, socioeconomically seem to be, to me as an ignorant kid, they seem to be on a lower level. And I've just watched them as they faithful, uh, were faithful in church, faithfully serving God. Uh, faithfully working on themselves, their marriage, their family, their houses, their kids. And I've just seen God bless them and prosper them. There's, there's this redemptive lift that just comes from a consistency uh, of serving God and being faithful in a community of faith like we know the church. Something so powerful. 
Don't underestimate that. A lot of times, and I'm going to talk about it here in a moment, we want a miracle. Well, sometimes miracles aren't needed if you just have the blessing of faithfulness. Sometimes we need a miracle. All hell broke loose, something we didn't foresee. Maybe we made a mistake, and we need that miracle. And God's faithful. He's good. He's good like that. But there is a lift, a financial uh, uh, a health, there, there's, there's such a lift that comes from just faithfully and consistently, well, as we would say it, just some good, clean living. Just some good, clean living. I mean, when you go to the doctor, don't you fill out these forms and they're like, uh, you know, how much you drink, how much you smoke? Thomas, what are you saying? Of all things, I expected to get a Feedback from Thomas on it was not that one. What's going to happen is you, you, you answer that question in a particular way that doctor's probably going to lecture you and say, let me tell you, you got, you, there's going to be some consequences here. So just good, clean living. Are you with me? That's just meat and cornbread right there, but that's some good stuff. That's pastoral. You just be faithful. And you just watch what God does. It's just amazing. You just be faithful. And, you know, the fellowship, the body is so powerful, you know, the connections. In our business, we, we are all about connections. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So very often, like when it comes to jobs and job placement and that kind of thing. And, you know, I have seen it happen time and time again. Somebody's looking for a job. Somebody in the church says, I hear you're looking for a job. Here's something you ought to consider. And they throw out an opportunity. It could be a career change that, that changes the rest of their life. I've seen it over and over again. Just the, 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 the body, the network of the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. And so they come back. They have stuff to give. They've earned it. They've worked for it. God's prospered them. They've increased. And he names these names. Heldai, uh, Hel, uh, Tobijah, and Jediah. They have significance. The meaning of the names, Heldai, means robust. Tobijah means God's goodness. And Jediah means God knows. J. Vernon McGee, who I listened to for years, said that through his goodness, God would put his king on the throne, and he would do so in a robust manner. These names are here, and they're not without significance. He said, make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of Joshua. Joshua. Now, in Judaism... This was a big no-no. Why? Because Joshua was the high priest. And a priest was not supposed to have a crown. And a king was not supposed to be a priest. Did you get those pictures? I emailed some pictures to the media team. I'm sorry. The, uh, there, there is a, it was early this morning. Uh, the, the, uh, the priest would wear a, a, like a mitre. Uh, and and not like a Catholic uh, priest mitre. It's not necessarily like that. It's more like, kind of looks like a chef's hat, really, if you want to get down to it. And it's got this 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 gold thing on the front that's wrapped on with a uh, a like a purple uh, thread that is uh, saying holiness under the Lord. So he would wear this particular hat, you could say, a mitre. It was a priest hat, and then. The king, do we have it? There we go. There, there it is. So you've got uh, the, the, the priest, with, this is what he was supposed to wear. And then the, the king, of course, is wearing another type of crown. It's, it's an elaborate, 
gold crown. Um, that's, that's all right. It's coming. So I should have warned you ahead of time. Um, it, it's uh, What did Alexander say? It's no problem. We love our sound and media people. That's a tough job right there. Alexander, sucking up, man. I get it. So he was saying that I, I want you to put this, this crown on the head of, of Joshua. And so kings were never anointed or appointed to be priests. Priests were never anointed and appointed to be kings. We have that crown. Look at that, right? Elaborate, an elaborate crown. So, in 1 Samuel 13, 9, Samuel told Saul to wait for him. And when Samuel would arrive, Samuel would offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. That's the job of a priest. Saul, the king, first king of Israel, he got scared because his people were peeling off, leaving, impatient. Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. Well, his people, his army, they were getting nervous, and, and they were peeling off, and Saul was scared, and he's like, I better go ahead and offer up a sacrifice because the Philistines were gathering people. And so instead of waiting for Samuel, Saul, the king, offered up the sacrifice. Saul was not a Levite. He was a Benjamite, and he usurped the authority of a priest. God strictly forbade this. The king was the king. The priest was the priest. There's a separation of powers. Saul got out of his lane, and it cost him. In 2 Chronicles 26, King Uzziah did the same thing. He was stricken with leprosy and had it until the end of his life. And yet, Zechariah 6.11 says to set a crown on Joshua, the high priest, a Levite, and it's not just any crown, it's an elaborate royal crown, one that a high priest would never wear. He said, put it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So there already was this strong, godly, civil leader in Zerubbabel in Jerusalem. And so it didn't make much sense to crown, you know, Joshua, uh, who's a high priest, when you got Zerubbabel there kind of leading the charge in the civil affairs. But Joshua was crowned because... A coming descendant of David was to rule and reign, and his name would be Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. This is a, a prefigure of Jesus not only being the high priest, but being the king of kings. And, and it's... it's uh, it's fascinating because a lot of critics or cynics of the text here are so certain that Zerubbabel should be the one crowned that they think it's saying Joshua is the one to wear the crown is an error. But they miss the point because this is prophesying of a king priest to come, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Let's look at verses 12 and 13. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. 
From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So behold, the man whose name is the branch. We've already seen this title, the branch, in Zechariah 3, 8. And it's familiar when it comes to Messiah. Isaiah 4, 2, Isaiah 11, 1, Jeremiah 23, 5, Jeremiah 33, 15. The branch speaks of fruitfulness, of life. Jesus said that he's the vine. We are the branches. That's the idea. The life that comes from him originates from him. And then this is fascinating, too, because it starts and says, Behold the man. One of the guys that we have looked at during this entire study, his name is James Montgomery Boyce. He points out that in the Hebrew text, the prophecy begins, Behold the man. The very words Pilate used to present the beaten Christ, the humiliated Christ, to the people of Jerusalem. He said, Ak homo. He was saying, Behold the man in Latin. But in Zechariah's vision, it's not the humiliated Christ, but it's the exalted Christ who wears a crown, the triumphant Jesus. From his place, he says, he shall branch out. Fruitfulness, spreading because of Messiah. There's life, a root out of dry ground that will bring fruit wherever he goes. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. The branch will rebuild the temple of the Lord. Okay, so Zerubbabel's temple is called Zerubbabel's temple. And then there's going to be a third temple that's already going to be in existence in the end time. Are you with me? And, and Jesus did not come and build Zerubbabel's temple. Zerubbabel did. And, and the men there. And, and Jesus is not going to come down and build the temple in the end time, that third temple, he's not going to come down and do this. So what does it mean that, that he's going to, this king priest is going to build a temple? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and he dwells in you, right? Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Yeshua the high priest, Yeshua the king of kings, is going to build his temple. Ephesians 2:19 through 22 says this. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitly to, uh, fitted together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord, in whom you also are being built for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 1 Peter 2, 4-6. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So he is the priest. He is the king. And the fact that you are in this room tonight means that he is a master builder 
doing his job, still building his church. Isn't that cool? Priest on the throne. So shall he shall be a priest on his throne. This was unthinkable to Israel. Priests don't sit on thrones and kings don't serve as priests. But the branch is different. Jesus is different. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Right? He's the priest. He's the king. He's the sacrifice. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the builder of the building. I mean, he's our elder brother. He's the king of kings. He's the almighty God. He's the son of God, the son of man. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Can I just say this? And you think your problem is too big for God to solve? He was looking down through the portals of eternity when he saw you as he, I'm the king, I'm the priest, and I'm going to build my temple. I'm going to build Troy. I'm going to put Troy in my temple. I see Troy. He foresaw, he foreknew, he put us all together. And you think he can't solve your problem. I got a problem over here, Lord. I know a God who can take care of that problem. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Verses 14 and 15. Watching my clock here. Uh, now, the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord for Halem, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. This elaborate crown shall be a memorial. So he makes it clear this crown of Joshua is, is a memorial. It's painting a picture. We've already talked about it. It's prophetic of Jesus. Never intended for Joshua to take control in that day and time, but it was prophetic of Jesus. Him, the son of Zephaniah. This is a little in the weeds. Bear with me for just a moment. Earlier, Josiah was said to be the son of Zephaniah. And Zechariah, apparently, the Bible says at Zechariah 6.10, he gave this prophecy in the house of Zephaniah. So for what it's worth, Hen, the name Hen or the word Hen in Hebrew means gracious. So Hen is probably a nickname, another name, and an appropriate one, gracious, for Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Then he goes on and says, even those from afar shall come and build the temple. The elaborate crown spoke of something that would, that would take place in the distant future because the church would be, you know, quite a while from this prophecy right here. But uh, it only stands to reason that God's promise, this is interesting, concerning the future means that the work now has to continue. So even though he's speaking prophetically of way down the road, it stands to reason that, and so I need you to be faithful so I can bless what you're doing now because this is the road to where I'm going. You're part of the road to where I'm going. You're part of the pathway to the future. And let me just say this. Maybe God's shown you something about your life, your calling, your future. Let me just say this. There's a pathway to that future. There's a road that will take you there. It's one that's going to be filled with your dedication and His blessing. So, it's a highway of holiness. I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to consecrate myself. I'm telling you, y'all, the power of God moves amongst consecrated people. 
Sometimes we get so hung up on stupid Pharisees, we want to criticize Pharisees, and we end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Consecration is not equal to Phariseeism. I'm going to talk about it. We're going to see it here in this, in this next chapter, but don't not live a consecrated life because you don't want to be a Pharisee. You could be, and I hate these words, conservative and liberal. I tell you, I'm not trying to be conservative or liberal. I just want to be deep in the things of God, you know. But sometimes those words help us, you know, identify, know where we are, understand a little bit better. But you can be as, cons- you can be as conservative, you can be against fresh air, you know, and not be a Pharisee. Don't look at conservative people and think they're all Pharisees. They're not. And don't look at, uh, you know, okay, let me move on here. It's a process. We're in process. The process, the road is preparing us to be able to handle the future promises. We don't like process. We like microwave God likes crockpots. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'd eat something out of a crockpot any day over something out of a microwave. Chapter 7. Almost done. We'll get this cracked open here. Verses 1 through 3. Now, in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month. Chislev, when the people sent Sherezer and Regomelech, we almost named our third child, Andrew, and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? So in the fourth year, on the fourth day of the ninth month, we can deduce this date. This is December the 4th. 518 B.C. So a delegation comes from Jerusalem with a question about, of all things, fasting. And they come a long ways. They're like, hey, we want to talk to you about fasting. At this point, the temple is about halfway done. He said, should I weep in the fifth month and fast? The fast in the fifth month was a fast that commemorated the destruction of the temple. 2 Kings 24, 8 through 10, and in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Fasting. Is a concept that's not new to the Jews, this audience that Zechariah is talking to. Uh, in a sense, Adam and Eve fasted. We've talked about this before. Fasted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's for sure they were supposed to. The law of Moses commanded that on the day of atonement, the people of Israel would afflict their souls. Leviticus 16 talks about this. It doesn't say specifically fast, but the rabbis taught that that was a fast for the day of atonement. And uh, during the Babylonian exile, the Jewish people instituted four fast to commemorate important dates and solemnify them in their nation. So you had 
April the 17th, mourning the capture of Jerusalem. You can find it in Jeremiah 52. May the 9th, the burning of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and all that. 2 Kings 25. July 3rd, the assassination of a guy named Gedaliah and, and this subsequent massacre. And then October the 10th, the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's siege. Uh, Psalm 137, you know, we hung our harps on the willows. That, that sadness that the captives had, they would remember these important events and they would fast. So to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord. So while in Babylon, these priests knew that these fasts commemorated these, this tragic fall of Jerusalem. And so God's people were back in the land and the temple was being rebuilt. And they wanted to know, do we still fast to commemorate the destruction of the temple since we're building a new one? Why don't you stand with me right now? Does that make sense? So, so do, we, do we keep doing this? And, and you know, they, they were, you know, Jeremiah said, I want you to buck up. I want you to settle down. I want you to prosper. But I want you to also be mindful and remember the failures that got you here in the first place. So hopefully you don't make the same mistakes. And, uh, you know, that's good advice for us as well. Like when we fall, we need to get up and move on. But we need to learn a lesson. We need to learn a lesson. So don't repeat the mistake. Never forget the pit from whence we were dug. He said, we've done this for years. We've done this for years. So at least 70 years, they fasted on these dates, these four specific dates in particular, and, and they want to know, do, do we really fast? We'll stop there. We're going to get into it. He's going to give an answer, and the answer is going to be like this. Really, you were fasting, and it was... Uh, Somewhere back down the line, it was not about me. It was about you. It was a day for you to wallow. It was a day for you to reminisce and complain and gripe. And it had nothing to do with me and the hope and the future that I've been trying to give you. It was all about you. And really, that's what Phariseeism does. It like goes through all these motions, but God's out of the picture. And it just makes you cold-hearted. And as we're going to see next week, it's all about the heart. It, it always has been, always will be. So you can fast and fast and fast. But if it's not about the Lord, if He's not included in that, I mean, I know a lot of people that don't even believe in God and fast. You can get an app on your phone that will help you fast. It don't say anything about Jesus. So you can fast and make it about whatever you want to make it about. But the point, what he's going to end up saying is, don't forget why you're doing this. Don't forget the Lord. The Lord's going to say that. It's kind of like later we're going to see in the prophecy, he says, I don't care about your sacrifice. Well, he's the one that said, bring the sacrifices. You've left me out of it. It's just motion to you. So we can come to church. That's the idea. We lift our hands. We can say some words. We can shout. We can go through the motions. And, and our heart's not in it. God wants the heart. And he said in Jeremiah, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I want your heart. You know? 
I want Valerie's heart. You know what I mean? I want her to like, I love you. I love you. you know? Oh, man. We can get cold in our relationships. We can get cold in our relationship with God, can't we? And God doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to not be lukewarm, not be cold. He wants us to be hot. A heart that burns for the things of God. I'm just going to be honest. I want that. You want that? I've had that. I've had it more at times than other times. But there's something that, that is just so amazing when you're walking in that kind of relationship. Would you just close your eyes with me right now and pray a prayer along those lines? God, set me on fire. I want to give you my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. Here's my soul, God. Here's, I don't want to just go through motions, have a separated lifestyle that my heart is just cold. God, warm this heart. I can't do it on my own, but I want to present it to you. You said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable, sir. Be not conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind. God, I want to, I want to present my, the whole of myself to you, God. Just, I want you to set me on fire. Make your word come alive to me, God. I'm going to spend some time in it. Would you help me? God, would you set a fire down deep in my soul, God? Would you, would you just ignite that, that passion? Some of you have had that passion, and God's wanting you to get it back. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.